Welcome back to Equality and Elevation, where we talk about the dynamic intersection of feminism and architecture, unearthing stories, perspectives and groundbreaking designs that shape an inclusive and equitable built environment. I'm Flossie and we'll be joined by Lily as together we explore the transformative world of feminisms in architecture. Hello everybody, it's Flossie here. Welcome to episode seven. Oh my god, I can't believe we've made it to episode seven. Um, so this week it's just myself and Lily and we're going to be talking about like feminist jobs. We're going to be talking about being a feminist in the workplace, choosing a feminist job and it's just going to be sort of a casual conversation. We're maybe going to touch a little bit as well on what our plans are going forward, like what kind of jobs we plan on getting. Um, so let's get started. I just think like being a feminist in the workplace is kind of hard. Do you know what I mean? It's hard to know what to do because first of all, like when it comes to choosing jobs, so myself and Lily, we're going to be looking to choose a job. Well, we're going to be looking to hopefully get a job, fingers crossed, knock on wood. Um, In like a few months time, we're going to be getting jobs hopefully as part one architectural assistants. So I feel like like the first bit to talk about is like choosing a job. I don't know. Do you have a plan for how you're going to do that, Lily? I should, but no. <laughs> um, I feel like I need to, like, I think maybe in the next few weeks just sit down and make, like, a portfolio so I have something. Because I sorted out my CV last week, so that's kind of sorted. I just need to have a portfolio. And I might just... I've got a list of a few practices I already want to email. And I'm just kind of looking around. Because I feel like it's hard not to be picky, especially when you're in part one, because not a lot of places will not actively look for a part one so you have to look for the job yourself so a lot of the time I feel and you just kind of have to take what you can get which in the end of the day may not be the job you want it may not be a feminist job or you may not find the practice fits you but I feel like it's it's quite hard at part one level to actually like I feel like it's and there's one practice I really want to work to one day it's in London so at the moment that's not an option really but I feel like I would love to work there and I'm just like one day I will be there. I love that I feel like it's nice to have somewhere like it's nice to know what direction you're going in do you know what I mean I don't really feel like that I don't think I I don't necessarily have a practice where I'm like I really really want to work there or like I really align with their values but I do feel a little bit like I want to be a bit picky and I know that's really really bad but I really uh, when I say that I don't mean really really picky I just mean I really want to work for a practice that reflects my own values like I would struggle I think to work for a practice that is really like unsustainable for example or like just uh maybe if it was a practice who just focuses on like a particular type of building such as like just really tall skyscrapers for example that's not necessarily what I'm interested in but I think you're right Lily like it's a we're in kind of a difficult position where like we don't really get to choose and also I think like it's a privilege you know to be able to choose and say like to be able to reject one job over another job especially when it might be that like a more sustainable practice might have a lower salary you never know they might be smaller um it's like yeah if I feel almost guilty like admitting that I want to be a bit picky because I'm like I recognize so much how much a luxury that is for me to be able to say that I want to be picky you know I feel like as well even if you weren't end up necessarily working for a practice that you think aligns with your values you can take your values to the practice and try and influence them I mean a lot of people are stuck in their ways but you can still have an impact especially with like the sustainability and climate science like you're a lot of no matter where you go there's going to be people who 
maybe want to just cut corners just to and get themselves in like an unsustainable space but I feel like anyone who's graduating architecture now who we've had more education on climate science and things which they might not have had so we can use that to then help them in practice do you know that she reminds me as well um on the guilty feminist there was this one episode well i think so deborah who's the host of the podcast um she often talks about like secret feministing and i think occasionally she asks the audience they do their podcast like live she asks the audience like who thinks they have a feminist job or whatever and people will you know put their hands up when they have jobs where they're doing like interesting research or like uh working with like dv victims and like stuff like that um and then she sometimes asks like who thinks they have an unfeminist job right and often like the person who like she calls on in the crowd who says they think they have an unfeminist job she'll be like okay do you think that you're like secretly like are you still being a feminist when you're at your job like are you secret feministing is what she calls it and I love that so much because I think it's so true like you like when I say it's a luxury to be able to be picky with your job, like it is, but it's not necessarily a luxury to be able to be doing secret feministing. Like it obviously is harder for some than for others, but I think we can all be doing a little bit of like, you know, under the radar feministing, even if you feel like you're working at a not very feminist practice. I think, yeah, we could all benefit from a little bit of secret feministing. Definitely, especially as well, thinking of our situation, we are both in a feminist atelier and I've done very like, unconventional kind of topics for our projects so I feel like by just doing that you're gonna not necessarily some people will limit themselves like some practices may not see it and be like oh I don't like that but then in a way that filters out the jobs that you don't want anyway so in by having the feminist utility that actually helps us maybe find more connections through like the tutors so that in a way could help us find a job that does align with our values yeah I think you're so right actually I feel like also it highlights the importance of networking like really and okay just to be real with you like I am so bad at networking (laughs) like I'm sure Lily could tell you I just I think sometimes I see like networking events with like Reba Northwest or like um really amazing uh, organizations like women in architecture um, or women in property and I'm like oh my god I really want to go to that that looks so fun and I feel like I would make so many like I would meet so many amazing women who could like put me in contact with amazing practices and it would just be such a great opportunity but it's hard do you know what I mean it's nerve-wracking next this semester we need to go to some we need to commit we can do this Lily if we do it together I think we can make it work but the the thing is as well I do feel like I mean everyone gets nervous at the end of the day but I do think that those kinds of events are a little bit scarier sometimes when you're a woman because like we are more inclined to be nervous in those situations when we're more likely to be spoken over the top of or we're more likely to not be taken seriously and I feel like going to those events I have to think really really maybe this is just me but I feel really really stressed about like being taken seriously and looking professional and I'm like what is the right way to dress like what is going to make people think I'm the most serious like what's the right amount of makeup to wear like how should I speak because even I've heard a lot of discourse at the moment on like social media and stuff about um like linguistics when it comes to young women and the way that we have this really specific like vernacular way of talking where we say like a lot or we say um literally a lot and like (laughs) see (laughs) and people older than us really really don't take us seriously because of it which 
is just so like frustrating you know i do get the like thing i don't know what it is i just can't like form sentences <laughs> without saying it it's just so true it's really hard but i also heard and i don't have the study to back this up so don't like you know take it with a pinch of salt but i heard somebody um on the internet the other day talking about how there's been studies that show that men lag behind a whole generation to women when it comes to like linguistic development so language develops like you know it's constantly developing like people used to say things like like ye or like <laughs> thine or like do you know what I mean like words that we just don't say anymore and um when it comes to that those kinds of developments within our language apparently um and again I'm really sorry I don't have the source for this but apparently men lag 20 years behind women on that so what that means is the way that Lily and I are talking now in 20 years time <laughs> the men who are our age will probably be talking in a really similar way or they will have picked up some really similar linguistics um from that kind of vernacular so I don't know it's an interesting thing to think about but sadly it doesn't help when it comes to networking events um but I do think that they're important I don't know have you been to any networking events Lily like any recommendations I haven't but I kind of wish there was a um on Saturday I couldn't go because I was working but there was a Manchester Society of Architects did like a walk and I would have wanted that but sadly I was at work that's a good one, actually, Manchester Society of Architects. Um, and there's a student society as well, which is called MSSA. Um, but yeah, whatever, like where, if you're a student, wherever you're studying, like definitely look for your local Society of Architects because it's a good way. And they run lots of events, actually, don't they? I've yeah. seen lots. They're always the ones where I see it and I'm like, I really want to go, but I just like can't bring myself up to doing it. But I think that we have to as well because the only way that we'll start to be taken more seriously and not be spoken over at events like that is by going to them and proving to people that we are not people to be not taken seriously, you know? Um, but yeah, I do think that, that kind of stuff is, is really what helps when it comes to choosing a feminist job. And then obviously, like we've said, like if you don't choose a feminist job, I don't think it's the end of the world. Um, but the other thing is like when it comes to the secret feminist thing I was talking about earlier I think that's harder to do at a part one position you know it feels like a little bit more tenuous I don't know yeah I feel like at part one you're almost like the assistant so you can't have I mean I guess it depends on the practice but you may feel like you don't have as much input into things just because you are the assistant I mean obviously I haven't experienced it so I don't know for sure but that's what I feel like it would be like. I think it's scary as well because I don't know if you feel this way, Lily, but I feel a lot like um, my experience as a part one is going to determine a lot of my career. And I don't know if that is strictly true. You know, if you are a qualified architect, please come and let us know how you feel about that. But I think that it will, at the very least, it will make an impact on how I go about doing my master's. Um, and if not, like, I think it will continue to affect me for, like, a lot of my career. Like, I feel like it dictates a lot, you know, because also, I guess, if you get a part one job at a practice, you may be more likely to be able to get a part two job at that practice. Um, and, like, in an economy where jobs are scarce, <laughs> that kind of, um, like, leg up is is really useful. Um, so, yeah, I think it does, it feels scary because I know I, I want, what kind of direction I want to go in with my career. And I'm worried about choosing the right job to help me get in that direction you know um but I don't know maybe we should talk a little bit about that as well so like uh when it comes to choosing feminist jobs or when it comes to 
wanting to formulate a feminist career I think it's important to think like into the future and like where you want to go um so yeah do you want to tell us a little bit about your plans if you have any Lily? I mean I definitely at the moment in time want to like fully be a qualified architecture architecture architect (laughs) um in like the quickest time I can if you get what I mean um but I don't I know so far that I think I want to work next year in Manchester because a lot of my friends are staying here so I feel like oh it'd be easier for me to find people and meet people (coughs) and then um the year for my master's I'm not that picky yet I feel like I want to explore another city and get to know like new people in a new place so I feel like masters is a good time when you're at uni you obviously meet loads of people so but I've no idea where I was thinking maybe like Sheffield because if I wasn't here I probably would have gone to Sheffield um or somewhere in London but I don't know about how I feel about London still so I'm not sure yet and then part two well, I had to, it's <coughs> so far ahead that We'll see where you end up. It doesn't even matter, really, does it? Um, But yeah, I think um, when it comes to masters, I don't know. It's interesting because I found that with the bachelor's courses, like there wasn't much of a differentiation between which university you choose. It it tends to be sort of quite similar. But um, when it comes to masters, like I've noticed quite a few differences. I don't know if you've taken a look at all. Um, But like one of the ones I was looking at has a dissertation, which is 20,000 words. And I was like, I don't really want to apply to that one. (laughs) Um, To be clear as well, like we're looking quite far in advance here. So obviously Lily and I won't have to apply for our masters for quite a while. Um, But it's like interesting to sort of know what the vibe is, you know. Um, Another one I looked at in Bath, I think it was, they offer a placement as well. Like at the beginning of the two years, you do a placement somewhere else. I thought that could be quite interesting. I don't know. I feel like that's something I might like to do. But it's just hard to know what the right option is you know not to scare you but you're probably going to be flying for your masters at the end of this year <laughs> stop that's so much sooner than i wanted to know <laughs> um yeah i have a i feel like for me because you don't actually have to do a master's you can just do a diploma in architecture and it's the same thing but the diploma usually doesn't have a dissertation and the masters will have a dissertation but for me, it's more that I'd rather have my dissertation in fifth year than sixth year, so that in sixth year you can just concentrate on like your final project, and then fifth year you have like the big writing you project you have to do because to do them both at once that would be a lot of stress. Yeah, I really agree with that. I think that would be like too intense for me, especially because I just don't, I don't like. I don't know how to write 20,000 words. Like, I've never in my life had 20,000 words worth of things to say. Actually, that is probably a lie. I am someone who quite likes to talk, so maybe I have. (laughs) But I think it's probably just about picking a topic that you're interested in as well. You know, like, I basically, throughout my university career so far, have written every essay I've had to write about feminism because it is what I find interesting. Um, But yeah, it is just, it's just difficult, you know? It's difficult to know what the right, kind of option is I think um but it's good to think about it and it's good to plan um and good to like start thinking as well beyond that about like what kind of architect do you want to be I think because that can really influence your work so obviously like Lily and I have mentioned before we're in a feminist atelier which means that we get to do really cool feminist projects um and that's because we kind of know that that's the kind of architecture that we're hopefully looking to make one day um but 
I think it that's what makes it easier to get a job you know is having a niche and knowing and it also makes it easier to do the work (laughs) when you have a niche um but yeah I think that when I've done and this is so far into the future it's insane but when I've done my part one and my master's my part two and my part three um I would quite like to work at a practice for a while and then like maybe start my own practice but I don't know do you like have you thought about that at all Lily? When I was younger I definitely was like fully set on opening my own practice but at the, at the moment I'm not, I'm on like two stones I'm like I would but I'm not sure like I feel like it's a thing that if it happens it happens I'm just like go with the flow. Yeah I get that I think it's there's no sort of pressure either way which is quite nice because there's so many amazing practices out there as well you know um, especially like if you're staying in the Manchester area or the London area that's the other thing I found is like whenever I look for practices like I don't know if you get this but every one that I look at are always in London I don't know why but they're all like all of the architecture practices are in London and I'm just like oh it's so expensive to live in London I don't know how I'll be able to do that um but yeah and the other thing I think that could be good for us to talk about when it comes to it being expensive living in London actually is like the salaries and what to expect so obviously Lily and I don't yet have jobs <laughs> as architectural assistants so we don't necessarily know what to expect but I would say we probably have like a bit of an idea right um and obviously salary transparency very important in feminist work and in secret feministing in your practice um so yeah should we talk a little bit about that yeah, there's actually the one of the practice that I was mentioning. Uh, I'm not going to say the name because I don't want to <laughs> name drop. But they had a a thing in the Architects Journal about salaries. Their practices in London, and they originally gave a salary <clears throat> that wasn't uh, like enough for London. It wasn't sustainable for living in London. So they, I wasn't when I was reading the article, I was a bit like how did you give you someone this salary and then realize after and then be like oh you can have this salary like surely you know that's the it was part one as well so for part one you you really don't get but it's like 22 some like one of my friends who's in a she's doing her part-time at the moment and so she's at Sheffield and working in Manchester part-time but she's was when she was interviewing she was like just be prepared for the salaries to not be what you expect yeah that's interesting as well because I know a lot of people have said to me when I'm studying architecture they're like oh you're gonna make bank like you're gonna have so much money and I'm like "Mm, no (laughs) um architects definitely in general make less money I think than people think but yeah we're in my research at least I don't know if this is the same for you Lily but what I seem to have found at the moment is the salaries sort of range from around 22,000 a year to, and this is the most I've seen, and I'm not sure I even believe it, but about 26, 27,000 a year. And I think the upper range of that is really what you're going to be getting only if you're in London, um, because it is so expensive to live there. But to be fair, I say that, and like, that is the upper bound of what I've seen. But most of the, like, one the jobs that I've seen in London that have advertised a salary have advertised like twenty three thousand pounds or whatever, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> I'm not gonna be able to save any money for my masters. No, there's no way you can afford to rent in central London whilst working as a part one. That's just not happening. Yeah, like it's ridiculous. I I was literally talking to my mum about it, and I was like, mum, like maybe I'm really out of touch and just being stupid, but like this seems like. I'm like I'm I could make it work on a £23,000 salary in London but I would be living kind of far out of London and I would have no money left every month like I would be 
pennies do you know what I mean there's no like space for saving um but I think that's something that's interesting actually about like the architectural profession and like the journey to becoming an architect is like no one really talks about this that much like it is not very accessible (laughs) as a profession that's something we'll talk about a little bit more but I think if we can touch on it a bit now like those first seven years like it's expensive do you know what I mean yeah it's a very like middle upper class profession and it's hard to like get into it properly if you're not because like you know it's a known thing that like architects know like everyone knows an architect who's an architect and so it's like people a lot of people get in through connections and like the average salary is not even over 40k and that's for just being a fully qualified architect so the most of the time you just have to get into like project management or just management to get promotions which isn't even architecture at the end of the day yeah and I think some people find that it's easier like to to get paid a bit more if you have like some kind of specialization or like um I think as well if you get certain certifications so like if you're able to deliver like passive house certified stuff like that's definitely looking to be like a really positive trait um but naturally being a student that is difficult (laughs) that is difficult um but as a side note I think that there is now a new course um with uh I can't remember the exact name but it, it is in like a joint sort of um joint is done jointly with the passive house trust and i think it's done by co-action um and there's a course i think it's designed i'm saying a lot of i thinks here so please go google this yourself if you're interested but i think it's designed for students and it is about delivering passive house certified uh buildings which is really really cool and you never know it might help you get a job so (laughs) definitely take a look into it um but yeah i think like oh my brain's just gone blank what were we just talking about (laughs) Uh, accessibility passive house of course yeah um yeah and like salaries and things so sorry I just like had a bit of a brain fart there um but yeah like when it comes to salaries I think it is just it's good to talk about it but it's just not what people expect it really isn't and like talking about I think like there's a lot of um people I see on social media who talk about how they budget their salaries as well I mean most of them are like I don't know why I follow them to be honest because it's so depressing but they're like finance people in London and they have like salaries that are like ridiculous and they're like what I how I break down my like eight thousand pound a month salary as a 22 year old and living in London and I'm like oh my god how do you get paid that much month like I that's what I'm gonna get paid in like six months when I'm a part one assistant do you know what I mean um But I think information like that is still really helpful, like seeing even when they have massive salaries, seeing how people break down their salaries, like being transparent in that way, I think is really, really helpful. Um, I hope that when I'm like at that point where I've got a job, I will be as transparent as I can be. (laughs) Yeah, I just think in general, architects is kind of a almost put to the side profession. Like you have to go through all these years of studying, like seven years, which is only really in like medicine and that's the only other subject you need to do that and you just don't get valued for that seven years you're in like five years of uni fees debt plus maintenance if you got the maintenance so it's like that's so much money that you could avoid if they I do think that the education is very different to the actual profession and it should be adapted yeah I agree and also just for anyone who hasn't yet got to like the master stage of things yet or if you just 
uh, or a student or an architect you don't know um the we do get in the uk we get student finance funding for our three-year bachelors and we get it for our masters which is not the case for other masters courses um i think architecture is probably like one of the only ones where you get um funding for your masters actually which is helpful but the funding is still means tested which means what i found is really really weird is like so I what I started my bachelor's at age 18 so that's if you start like if you start the process of architectural education as early as you can you start age 18 and I'm gonna um, graduate from my bachelor's at age 21 and then I'm probably gonna do about a year in practice um, to, until I'm about 22 and then when I've started my master's I'll be turning 23 that year and I'm still gonna be relying on my parents for money which <laughs> is an interesting topic to talk about because obviously like not everyone can rely on their parents for money um not everyone's parents are in that position or also some people just really don't want to rely on their parents for money based on the relationship that they have with their parents I'm really really lucky that I love my parents and they support me so well and I'm like so grateful mom if you're listening love you <laughs> just kidding um but no seriously like it the way that the profession is structured such that the grants that you get when you do your master's are still means tested meaning that you are still relying like they are so for anyone who doesn't know what means testing means um it means that they decide how much money to give you based on how much money your parents earn um and like at the age of 24 I mean when I grad sorry at the age of 23 when I graduate from my master's I'm gonna be 24 25 years old like that is not usually an age that your parents should still have to be paying for your education because it's just such a long process it just seems weird you know and I think stuff like that could be fixed if part ones were paid just a little bit more (laughs) yeah I think the issue stems is I mean I'm glad that student finance is structured the way it is because I could not afford to do the masters otherwise but um this basically account architecture if you do it your part two within three years of graduating from part one you it's counted as an integrated master's so the only way you can get funding on most master's courses is if it's integrated and most of the time that's like a four-year course and you have a year at the end which is like master's but obviously it's a bit different for architecture I see why they do it as well because otherwise the it would even be less accessible than it already is so they kind of have to in a way but like you said, like having to put like your parents' income just to get see how much maintenance loan you get is so stupid when you're like 24, 25. Yeah, and it's irrelevant as well because it, let's think like say you um, are not going to take any funding from your parents and you so you need to save up as much money as you can before your master's. So you take the maximum amount of time between your bachelor's and your master's, which like Lily just said, that's three years and you work for that maximum amount of time. So by that point, the very youngest that you could be applying for your master's is what like 26 I want to say yeah. 21 no 24 oh my god I'm getting it all messed up 24 ish <laughs> 24 25 ish between that age anyway the point is at that point you will have had done a three-year bachelor's and then done three years working you likely will not have lived with your parents for six years and yet you still have to put them in as a factor um and I get it you know like Lily said I get how it helps make the course more accessible I think it is really really important um but it's really frustrating as well and I definitely think that there's ways ways around it that they could um fix it um but yeah anyway so that is everything from me and Lily today I hope you enjoyed our episode and we will see you next week for episode seven bye bye 
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Equality and Elevation. We really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please rate us five stars on Spotify. If you're looking for more feminism and architecture content, you can find us on all socials at Equality and Elevation. Have a great week.